Welcome to the Crossing Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for listening. We're glad you've connected with us. Our hope is that God speaks to your heart in a new way through this message. If you're new to the Crossing Church, please feel free to reach out to us by visiting our contact page or by paying us a visit. We would love to meet you. This week's sermon podcast begins in three, two, one. Well, hello. My name is Marcellus. I'm a soldier, a soldier. Uh, I really don't feel much like a soldier right now. Right now, I'm a prison guard, and I'm in a very bad mood because my wrist has been hurting since I got off my shift just a couple of hours ago. The shackle that ties me to my prisoner, it's too small. I complained about it several times, but nobody listens to me. What I do, what I used to do up until the last few weeks, I was told it was pretty important work. I think it was. See, I'm a member of an elite group of men who went through extensive training to stand next to Caesar, to be his personal bodyguard, to stand next to him and to stand next to his family and other important dignitaries, to be the last line of defense between uh, he and someone who would want to hurt him. But as I already said, for the past few weeks, I've been assigned to guarding this prisoner, a man who will be on trial soon, and as far as I'm concerned, will probably be convicted and executed within a couple of months from now. It's a strange little man. He appears much older than his given birth date, and he talks all the time, all the time. He's, you know, he never seems to run out of things to say. Sometimes I just feel like saying to him, give your voice and give my ears a rest just for a while, please. Strange man. He's not like other prisoners that I've come across. This guy, his name is Paul. Uh, This Paul acts like he doesn't understand the situation he's in or really doesn't care about the situation he's in. Doesn't care about the trouble. But who doesn't care? Who would not care that he's about to go on trial and probably be executed for crimes against the state? See, I don't understand a man like that. I don't understand him. He keeps saying over and over again, if the trial goes well and he is released, that's great. Because he'll go back to doing what he did, being with his people, teaching them in whatever he does. I get that. I understand that. Everybody would understand that. Then in the next breath, he says, if I don't find favor with the emperor, if somehow I am executed at the end of the trial, that's good too. They're both good. I don't understand a man like that. A lot of the guards think uh, could be explained by simply saying he's nuts. A lot of them say that, but, but not all of them. Some of them are listening to him. Like I said, he, he talks a lot. I have to say, he's not a stupid man, and he's definitely not an ignorant man. He's really high with book learning. He's a smart man. I might even say a wise man. He's lived a lot of life, as, uh, if he is to be believed. Sometimes his story, though, when I listen to them, they seem like almost too much to believe. You want to hear what he told me last week? 
He said, Marcellus, I serve a king higher than Caesar himself. He's not an earthly king right now, but he will be one day. One day he will rule the entire world. But he's not just a king, Marcellus. He's a savior. Then he says, and Marcellus, and his eyes get real big, like saucers. He said, and Marcellus, this king who was also a savior, died on a cross a few years back with you in mind. I said to him, what do you mean with me in mind? I don't even know who this person is. You know, but I think about it. If he died on a cross, he must have been a pretty bad guy because Rome does not execute just anybody on a cross. You have to be guilty of a pretty serious crime to be executed on a cross. And what does he mean he had me in mind? I don't even know the man. What's this business about him thinking about me when he died? Well, I expressed my doubts to Paul, and sure enough, he had an answer because Paul always has an answer. He said to me, Marcellus, he knows all the wrong you've done. See, Marcellus, I know that there are nights that you sit up because you've had a bad dream. You wake up in fear thinking about death because of all the horrible things you've done and all the bad things that you've seen. He knows all about that. He knows all about it. But this Savior, this King, died to pay the penalty of your sin, the penalty that one day, Marcellus, when you die, you will have to pay Unless, unless someone else paid it for you. And then his voice got really soft. And his eyes glistened a little bit. And he said, but all you have to do, Marcellus, all you have to do is trust him. And he is able to save you from the eternal consequences of your sin. He is willing to save you. And he looked at me and I, I could tell he, he really believed this stuff. That's what he said to me. I smiled at him. I said, okay, Paul, thanks. Thank you. And I looked the other way. But you know, it was funny. When I looked the other way, I thought about what he was saying. And I'm saying, how does he know that I do that? How does he know that a lot of times I live in fear, thinking about the day that I will die? That's weird. And then again, a lot of the guys are probably right. He's probably just crazy. But the really strange thing is, as I've already said, some of the men are listening to him. Some of the guys believe what he said. And I have to admit, and I hate to admit it, and I'd never admit it to Paul, but I say it to you, that some of the guys who are believing what he had to say, now listen, some of these guys were real hell raisers. But some of these guys who are listening to Paul, I don't know, they're, they're different. They seem to be changing. I don't understand it. It's kind of weird. I really don't understand it. Another thing I don't understand is that he has friends. You know, crazy people usually don't have friends. They have friends that, they have people that pity them, but they don't have really good friends. This guy does. And from what I hear, he has a lot of people, even who live far, far away, who not only like him, but they reportedly love him. I've been chained to this guy for weeks, though, but I, I can't figure him out. I've never seen a prisoner so busy as this man. The other day, he spent hours writing to some friends of his in Philippi. Philippi. I'm probably going to end up in Philippi one day. Most of us soldiers do when we retire. 
I hear that you have an old saying for your soldiers. Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. Well, we in the Roman military fade away to Philippi. Anyway, he had this secretary who was writing a letter for him that I told you about. And I looked at him. I said, Paul, what are you writing? And he says to me, I'm sending a letter to some very, very dear people in Philippi, people who sent money, even though they're poor themselves, sent money so that I could rent quarters while I'm waiting for my trial to begin. When I think of them, Marcellus, I have to tell you, knowing where they're from, knowing how poor they are, when I think of them, sometimes I just feel like crying. Now, i got to tell you, if it is true what he said, that they sent money for him to rent quarters, those are some pretty good friends. Because Paul was a prisoner of the state. If you were a prisoner of Caesar's, you were provided with just enough to live, and I mean just enough to live. Just enough to fill your belly, just enough to put over your body so you wouldn't freeze to death, nothing more. If you were going to be anything more than moderately comfortable just barely making it, you better have some pretty good friends on the outside. Or you wouldn't make it. See, it was no small thing what they did for him. I said he had friends. There were two guys that have been here a lot lately. In fact, they've been here every day. One guy, good-looking kid. Uh, he called him Timothy. I guess he knew him from way back when. He knew his family from a trip he had taken a long time before. The other guy, it's an older guy. His name is Zapaf. I don't know. I can't remember this guy's name for the life of me. Anyway, these two guys have been with him the whole time that I've been there. And the guards that I relieved, they said that they were there even before I got there. It's funny how much you learn about a person when you're around them in close quarters three shifts a week. But look, I have to tell you, these two guys, the older guy and Timothy, I don't get them any more than I get Paul. Take, for instance, Timothy, the younger guy. From what I could see, from what I've heard, they know each other really, really well. I uh, hear that Paul knew the kid's family when he was in Lystra. That's where the kid's from. See, they all believe this stuff, too, that he believes. In fact, I heard that not only his mother, but his grandmother taught him the stuff that he believes. When I uh, first saw him coming around, I said to Paul, I said, Paul, is that your son? Because they looked a little bit alike, I thought, the way he was devoted to him, I said, there's got to be a family relation there somewhere. And so Paul looked at me, he says, well, not by blood, but we're related by new birth. Of course, Paul was always saying things that made me scratch my head. Then he went on to explain about being born again when we trust in the Savior King. All I wanted was a yes or a no, and he always goes into explanations. This kid seemed different for the first, from the first time I saw him hanging around, though. A lot of young guys, you know, they're into the toga scene, you know what I mean? They just want to have a good time, have some fun. They're thinking about their careers. They're pretty self-centered, though. They're pretty much thinking about what they want from life. But this kid, this kid Timothy, he seemed to care more about the needs and the interests of others than he cared even about himself. I guess that makes sense when I saw him hanging around Paul. Like I said, uh, these two connected to each other like a father connects with a son. Well, like some fathers and some sons, I guess. My father was a strict disciplinarian. Tough. Tough to please. 
In fact, uh, he never said it, but uh, I don't think I ever pleased him. I don't think I did. All I know is that when he spoke, we all started moving. I obeyed him, but I think I obeyed him more out of fear of the consequences that might happen if I didn't than anything else. He died in a foreign war when I was 12 and a half. I'm pretty sure that sternness made me into a man, but still, anyway, the kid. Just talking about the kid. Whatever Paul wanted, it seemed like whatever Paul thought he wanted, the kid was always there. One day last week, Paul said, you know, it was really chilly last night, wasn't it? The next day, the kid shows up with a blanket. Paul says, you know, I want to write a letter. The kid all of a sudden turned around, and he's got a stylus and a, a sheet of papyrus ready to dictate Paul's letter. Amazing, this kid. What a volunteer. He served him like a, like a son serves a father. But I don't think he did it out of fear. You know, as I watched him in these last few weeks, I think this kid gets a sort of pleasure out of serving Paul. Come to think of it, I think the kid is like that with everyone. You know, when I, I heard Paul dictate, you know what I heard him dictate just the other day? This is what he dictated. Uh, he was writing, remember I told you he was writing this letter to his friends. Well, he's writing this letter to his friends, and then he says this. Now, Timothy is dictating, his young friend, and he says this. He says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. And it was really funny because, you know, as he said that, the kid looks at him like this. That's not true kind of thing. But you know what? I think it was. I think this kid was like nobody else. That's what I saw. I think it's just the way the kid was. I've met a couple of people like that in my life, but uh, just a couple. Between you and me, I don't think it's normal. I don't think it's natural. I'm not sure if I've ever met someone really, someone who actually cared more about others than himself, someone who's more committed to someone else's needs, someone else's interests than their own, someone who would plot and pattern his future based on how he could serve others. Sounds nice, sounds glorious, but let me just tell you this. If we had our army filled with people like that, Rome would have never conquered the world. It's true. You can bet on it. You and I know that most people are looking out for number one. I think we have to in this world. This world is tough. I'm in this army for what I can get out of it. I'm looking for fast promotions, and I'll do whatever I have to to get ahead. Got to do a little flattery. I'll do a little flattery to the commander. Holiday gift to his wife. I'll do that. Volunteering for double shifts. Sure. I want to go up the ladder. And the only way to make it happen is if I do it. I know that. Honestly, I don't know how this religion, whatever it is that they're trying to establish, is going to catch on with this service servant attitude. If Paul is grooming this kid, Timothy, to be some sort of general or head, what does he call it, the group? Church. He called it a church. If he is grooming Timothy to be the head of a church of people, then you know what? He's going to have to push a little harder. He's going to have to learn how to promote himself. 
And you know what else? He should probably do that Paul, something that Paul's kind of working against right now. He should probably stay right here in Rome to do it. What better place is there? This is the capital. People dream all their lives of going to Rome. That's where the action is. That's where a man can make a name for himself. Climb the ladder? Yeah, pretty quickly here in Rome. If this kid has any ambitions at all, if Paul has any ambitions for him, for this new thinking religion, church of people, whatever it is, he's not going to do it 800 miles away in a second-rate town like Philippi. Apologies to anybody here who may be from Philippi. If he has any thoughts of being a leader, his movement should stay in my town. But I heard Paul say just this morning that he wants to send the kid to Philippi. And then Paul wants to join him later on. Now, I don't know about that. As I said, I don't think this is going to turn out well for Paul. But either way, whether he gets out or whether he sends the kid, it's not a good move for either one of them. That is not the way to get ahead. Bad career move. No way. I know what you're thinking. You're probably saying, what do you care? I'm going to tell you, I don't really care. Yet, you know, the truth is, I kind of like the kid. I don't know why, he's just, he's a nice kid. When he left the room just the other day, I said, Paul, you're sending him down a dead end. You ought to help him climb the ladder. You're working against him. You're sending him down a dead end. That doesn't make any sense at all. So Paul looks at me, as Paul does, and he said, Marcellus, our king came down the ladder to serve Up in heaven, he was equal with God, but he made himself nothing for our sake because he cared more about us than he cared about himself. He thought about everybody else who was going to be lost, and he gave himself so that they didn't have to die in their sins. He sort of came down the ladder of success from heaven to the cross. Timothy and I, in fact, he said, all of us Christians... We take our lead from him. And now our only ambition is to serve him and others. See, the people in Philippi need to do that. They need to learn how to do that. Some of them need to learn in a way that only a a living, breathing example will teach them about. When Timothy comes to them, you know what? They're going to see another example of what that looks like. When he arrives, they'll have to realize that he's more interested in their welfare than in his own ambition, than his own advancement. Marcellus, he said to me, I know this sounds crazy, but our only ambition is to figure out how better to serve our king. And he was right about one thing. It's crazy. Then he asked the kid to bring a page from a letter over to him. And, you know, Paul has really, really bad eyesight. So he brings one of these pages of papyrus, and you could see Paul, it was almost touching his nose, and he starts to read something that he had already written. He said, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me for the work of the gospel. Everyone looks out for his own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. And he didn't have to say it, but I know he meant everyone but Timothy. What's that expression you use? To each his own? Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Well, you could see I wasn't getting it, Paul. So he pointed to another fellow in the room. uh, 
that older guy, he pointed at him and he said, do you see that gentleman over there? Marcellus, do you see him sitting over there? I said, yes, Paul, I see him sitting over there. And then he says with a big smile, that man is the one who brought me the money from, from the saints in Philippi. He was the one they carried it to me. He's my brother. Again, not a blood brother, but someone even closer than a blood brother. I had a brother. We could really count on each other when the chips were down, when we were kids growing up. We got into a lot of trouble. It's hard to find somebody like that in this world. I guess I feel a little bit like that with my comrades in arms. We stand shoulder to shoulder. And, uh, but you know, really, the reason I consider them my comrades is because uh, without them, there's a much greater chance that I would die in the battlefield. And I, I always want to stay alive. That's the name of the game. See, most people I know aren't comrades. Most people in uh, my culture, in my world, are separated into distinct groups. There's so much that separates us. You look at things, you see, people like Paul. Paul's a Jew. And the Jews look at everybody else, us, as they call us Gentiles. There are slaves. There are men who are free. There are Greeks. There are Romans. There are aristocrats, common folk, citizens, People like me, soldiers. See, Rome knows how much separates us, so they try to bring us together. They know it's for their benefit. So they try to bring us together by making us swear allegiance to the emperor and to the state. But you know what? You can make a man say anything in the world, but it's really what's in his heart. What, that's really what he's all about. It's what's on the inside. It's what you cannot see. See, I lived in a very divided culture. But Paul called this older guy his brother. And I could see that although they had so many differences, they really could count on each other. They knew when the chips were down, they were there for each other. Paul said that his brother-to-brother relationship with young Timothy and this older guy wasn't unusual for people in that church that he's forming. But from what I hear, these people, these church People had as much separating them as the rest of us had. So you would think that they would be as divided as we are. But they seemed a lot more together than the rest of us. Paul said that the Savior King, he said he came and broke down the middle wall of partition between men and women. They didn't just say nice things to each other. Nice things are nice. It's good to say good things. But you know what? Just saying nice things doesn't make up the gap between the differences of people. It doesn't keep them from tearing each other apart. They actually put others' interests. They actually put the interest of their Savior, King, above their own, no matter what the cost. I guess it works for them, I guess. So they were brothers. But then he called them his fellow soldier. I kind of think he said that because all day long he was looking at soldiers. I also wonder if he slipped it in for us, too, who were watching over him. Look, uh, these people, Paul, his friends, those who loved him, those in Philippi, they're going to have a tough time. I don't care what city they live in. They will have a tough time in this world because this world is tough. If they're going to make it, if their movement is going to move out, if they're going to move ahead, they're going to have to take a lesson from our playbook. See, I'm a soldier. 
They're going to have to be a bit more like me. They're going to have to be a bit more like my fellow soldiers, too. They're going to have to go shoulder to shoulder. That's what warfare requires. That's how we became so successful. You know, before Rome, armies used to fight mostly as individuals. Sometimes they dressed alike, but they didn't fight side by side. See, that's why we moved ahead. Imagine facing an army shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, spears sticking out, pointing in your direction, singing in unison as they marched along to engage in battle. You know, many times I was scared before the battle. But then I thought about what we must look like to them. I guess Paul saw this older guy standing next to him, saw him as someone ready to face any danger, any foe, any circumstance together. If all these church people are like these guys, they may make it after all. But I doubt it. In the next breath, Paul says to me, Marcellus, did you know that this man almost died bringing money to me? Now, I know it takes about six weeks to cover the 800 miles to Rome from Philippi, sailing from Macedonia around Greece, then to Rome. Lots of stops along ports along the way, and ports along the way. It seems like a couple of weeks into the trip, he was telling me that this older guy, Epaphroditus, that's his name, Epaphroditus. Well, a couple of weeks into the trip, Epaphroditus starts running a fever. The fever starts to get higher. They continue on. Then all of a sudden he gets the dry heaves, then coughing up blood, severe brain-splitting headaches. They said he lost a ton of weight. And from the sound of it, by the time he made it to Rome, they had to carry him off the ship into his quarters. See, I've seen guys in a condition like that. Most of them don't make it alive. He said, Marcellus, you know what? He insisted on continuing even after he got sick. Do you know why, Marcellus? I said, why, Paul? He said, because he knew I needed the money. He was carrying a large sum of money, and enough to, to pay for these rented quarters for two years, and he knew that it was just about ready to be paid, and if it wasn't paid immediately, that they would put me in, you know, the barracks, underground, 15 feet underground, and I wouldn't see the light of day until my trial came up. And Marcellus, you know how many people don't even make it out of that cell, that underground cell. See, he put my interest and the interest of our king above his own, no matter what the cost. See, he almost died serving me. Then he looked at me, and I knew Paul well enough by then that he was going to ask a question that he wanted me to think so he asked me a question. He said, Marcellus, would you risk your life for your king? I didn't answer him. Would I risk my life for Caesar? I'm a soldier. I've fought in Caesar's wars. I'm part of his personal bodyguard. Would I take a spear for Caesar? You know, if it came down to it, I don't know. I'm just not sure. That's what I'm trained to do. That's what I'm paid to do. But if I wasn't paid to do it, would I consider Caesar 
worth my life? I don't know. Let me tell you what I do know. I do know that if I was Epaphroditus with all that money, feeling sick, I would have jumped ship and disappeared into a foreign city and established myself sitting pretty with a lot of money in the bank. That's what I would have done. See, I'd live it up away from my king. You know what? I'm thinking about it now. No, I don't think I would trade my life for his. Why would I do something silly like that? I don't get these guys. You know, Timothy has no ambition except to serve the king. Epaphroditus, he's ready to die for the king. Paul can't think of anything that would be happier than to be with his king. I don't get it. I really don't understand these three guys. Truthfully, I don't know if I ever met guys like this. We don't have guys like this. People who put their savior king's interest above their own. People who put the interest of others above their own, no matter what the cost. I'm not sure I've ever seen it. But you know, maybe we don't have men like that because we don't have a king like that. On this Memorial Day, stepping back from the character of Marcellus from Philippians chapter 2, let me say uh, we do have a king (laughs) like that. We do. We have a king who loved us. We have a king who came down and put on flesh and became like weak men and let them stretch his arm on a cross so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our sins. See, that's the gospel message, friends. That God, you know what, loves us so much, as sinful as we are, as hopeless as our condition and our future condition would have been, Jesus Christ came and he died for our our sins. We have one life and one life only to live. And as Christians, you know what we say? We live that one life and we spend that one life for the king. We have one expectation, to be with that king forever and ever And until that day, we together as the church remember how much he did for us. And we serve him and we serve those whom he died for.